Part 5, Surprise Visitor, Chapter 17. This morning in Sunday school, we're going to do something a little different, Mr. Ring told his class. This announcement generated a fair glim, faint glimmer of attention in the eyes of the sleepy group of children who slouched in rows of metal folding chairs in the upstairs classroom of Willow, Willow Valley Bible Church. With school out for the summer, the students had become accustomed to staying up later at night and sleeping in longer in the mornings. Getting up early for Sunday school left them feeling half awake and tired. On top of that, the Willow Valley kids felt particularly gloomy considering the deadline for the Hildebrandt house to be saved from demolition was only two days away. No hope was in sight. Do you all have your Bibles? Mr. Ring asked. We're going to do a sword drill, so get ready. The children half-heartedly picked up their Bibles and perched on the edge of their seats. Emily won the first drill and stood up to read the verse. Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. A boy in the back row got the next one. Psalms 3211, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. On the third verse, Terence opened his Bible right up to Isaiah 61.10 and won the drill almost immediately. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he read out loud. Mr. Ring continued the sword drill for several more verses. Then he taught a lesson having to do with the joy of salvation. Terence, however, left his Bible open to the verse in Isaiah and read it several times to himself. He frowned at it and felt confused. It did no good to read about joy or to hear a Sunday school lesson about it. He just didn't feel joyful. That's all there was to it. When he looked sideways at his friends, he decided they didn't look very joyful either. How could he be joyful as he thought about the Hildebrandt house being torn down? But there... Right in front of him, God's word said that the child of God would be joyful. Terence chewed on his lip and tried to figure it all out. Before he knew it, however, Sunday school was over and it was time to go to the sanctuary for the morning worship service. Two days, said Buddy gloomily as they went down the steps in the stair stairwell. We did the best we could, said Emily. It was true. Even after the television interview, the children had continued to go door to door, talking to people in the neighborhood. 243 signatures, including those of children, filled the creased and rumpled pages of their petition. But now, with the deadline almost upon them, the children could think of nothing else they could do. Buddy gave the petition to his mother, even though he doubted it would do any good. How soon do you think they will tear the house down? asked Heidi. No one knew the answer. <clears throat> Emily pressed a hand to her heart. I'm going back tomorrow to look at the house one more time and say goodbye, she said. Tears were in her voice. After that, I'll leave and never go back to that property again. I won't be able to bear seeing apartments polluting that beautiful piece of history. I'll go with you, said Heidi sadly. We'll all go, added Michael. 
He had already planned to make his own visit to the Hildebrandt house, but now it would be better all around if they went together. The next day was windy and cloudy, the breeze thick with the promise of rain. The children met in their favorite place under the willow trees in Willow Valley. When all of them had arrived, they slowly began the trek along the stream toward Heidi's house. The woods were silent except for the occasional bird call and the whisper of the rustling leaves all around them. They didn't speak among themselves, and it almost felt as though they were walking to a funeral. As they reached Heidi's backyard, the wonderful smell of fresh, freshly baked pastries wafted toward them in the breeze. Bridget is baking this morning, Heidi told them. She is sad, too. She said we can come back here and have some cinnamon rolls when we're done. Along the road they went, carefully watching for cars before crossing to the other side. They stopped at the posts, marking the hall driveway, and read the bronze plaque one more time. Hildebrandt, 1922. Sonhit, Wahert, Frenenschott, and Musik. Beauty, truth, friendship, and music, said Emily softly. Oh, I think, I think my heart is breaking. Michael led the way as they ventured once more along the driveway that curved between the trees of the overgrown yard. They had gone only a short way before they heard voices. When they passed the huge Mongolia tree, they saw a long, shiny limousine parked right in front of the house. Two smaller, less important-looking cars were parked behind it. The builders must already be here, making their terrible plans, Emily burst out. Can't they at least wait until the deadline tomorrow? But then Buddy saw the sign on the side of one of the cars. Wait, those are the attorneys my mom works for, he told them. And I really doubt that a builder would ride around in a limousine added Michael. The children stopped where they were, trying to figure out what was going on. A tall, white-haired man, dressed all in black, was standing with two men in suits next to one of the cards, cars. It is beautiful, the man said in a deep, rich voice. His words sounded very similar to the way Bridget spoke. Even better than I imagined. The man continued. Heidi gasped, and her eyes grew big. I wonder, she whispered, do you think they found the long-lost Hildebrandt heir? Emily squeezed her friend's arm until it hurt. It must be, she exclaimed. Oh, please, let it be true. Chapter 18 Back at Heidi's house, everything was in an uproar. Bridget served cinnamon rolls to the children at the round wooden table that sat in a corner of windows in her spotless kitchen. The children talked excitedly, interrupting each other as they told Bridget about the mysterious visitor at the Hildebrandt house. He talked like you, Bridget, Heidi said happily. I'm sure he was from Germany. And he wowed in a wimousine? added Buddy, his mouth full of Bridget's warm, perfectly baked roll. He must either be important or rich or both. Terence cocked his head sideways and adjusted his glasses.
Buddy, you should call your mom at your at her office and see if she knows what's going on. Yes, buddy, call her right now, Emily chimed in. Oh, I can hardly stand this. Bridget nodded her head toward the phone on the counter. Go ahead, she said. Buddy got up from the table and went to the phone. Taking a deep breath, he dialed his mother's office number and waited while it rang. Bridget's kitchen was silent with hopeful anticipation. Hi, Mom. This is Buddy. Yes, I'm fine. I'm just at Heidi's house having Bridget's cinnamon rolls with the rest of the kids. But, Mom, I have a question about the Hildebrandt house. We went over there, and the attorneys from your office were there with this other man. Buddy paused, listening to his mother. Then a grin stretched across his face, and he gestured a thumbs up back to his friends. Michael and Terrence silently cheered and gave each other a high five. The girls squealed and clapped their hands. Buddy held up his hand for them to be quiet. Really? He said to his mother. Yeah, that's who we thought it was. You didn't know he was coming? Wow. So what do you think he'll do? The children waited as Buddy listened to his mother talk for what seemed like a long time. Finally, he finished the conversation. Sure. Okay, thanks. Yes, I'll be home when you get home. Bye. He clicked the phone back into his charging station and turned to face the others. Well, asked Michael eagerly, what did she say? <clears throat> we were right, answered Buddy. Camilla, Hildebrandt's long-lost cousin, turned up unexpectedly this morning. His name is Hans Lehman. The attorneys had heard nothing from him at all. And then, bam, there he was at their office. Is he going to move here and live in the house? Asked Emily, leaning forward on the table. Buddy shook his head. Nope, his life is in Germany, and he's going back on Friday. He's just here to take care of the business side of things. Mom said he wasn't interested in keeping this property. The children sat in silence, trying to absorb what Buddy had just said. Terrence put down his crumpled napkin and sighed. So we're right back where we started, he said. If Mr. Lehman decides to sell the property to the developers, they will tear it down just as they had planned. Buddy stuffed the remainder of his cinnamon roll into his mouth and frowned. Emily stuck her chin out, her brow furrowed in thought. Michael tapped his fingertips against the glass of milk in front of them. Is there anything we can do? asked Heidi, looking around the table. We have to come up with some form of plan. We can't just give up. There was a long silence as all of them tried to think of an idea. Any idea. Finally, Terrence stood up. We should all go home and think about it, he said. Tomorrow, we'll meet again and see if we can come up with anything. Tick. Talk. Tick. Terrence sighed and pushed his chair back from his desk. Beside the ticking of the clock and the whoosh of the air conditioner cycling one on and off, the house was silent. Too silent for thinking. Terrence had spent a restless night dreaming of attorneys in suits, builders with a huge wrecking ball, and a tall, white-haired man in black. 
Once Terence's parents left for work, he sat down at the desk in his room, ready to do his best to come up with an idea that would somehow save the Hildebrandt house. But he couldn't think, at least not here. Terence got up, pulled a tattered notebook from his shelf, sticking a pencil in his pocket. He went to the back door of the house and escaped from the silence into the living noise, color, and pugent smells of Willow Valley. The grass was heavy with the sparkling reminder of the rain that had fallen during the night, and a few wet drips plop, plunked onto Terence's head from the leaves overhead as he made his way down the path toward the pond. He passed by the three willow trees and the breeze rippled pond and continued on to the grassy bottom of the small valley. Finding a shady spot in a dry patch of grass, Terence dropped his notebook and stretched out on his back. Above him twisted the branches of a tree whose leaves ruffled and flipped in the after rain breeze. Beyond that, scraps of deep blue sky gave hints at eternity and endless space. God is up there somewhere, thought Terence to himself, far away, bigger than imagination, more powerful than the sun itself. Terence wondered how God could possibly set, spend any tiny second of time paying attention to what was happening down in Willow Valley. Why should he pay attention? <clears throat> Terence remembered the verse he read in Sunday school and thought again about his own lack of joy, the joy God said would belong to his children. A nagging fear darkened Terence's mind as he considered the question he had been avoiding. If he did not feel joyful as God said he should, did that mean he really wasn't one of God's children? Terence sighed. He didn't know how to answer that question, but he was also afraid to go ask someone else for help. Besides, right now, the problem he needed to solve was how to save the Hildebrandt estate. Terence sat up and brushed the grass out of his hair. He propped his notebook on his knee, pulled his pencil from his pocket, and willed his brain to concentrate. How could five kids convince Camilla Hildebrandt's cousin to allow the estate to be used as a library instead of being sold and torn down? Clearly, Hans Lehman was a professional of some sort. Terence squinted his eyes in deep thought. His own father was a very successful businessman. What did he do when he had to perceive persuade someone to see things his way. <coughs> An indigo dragonfly darted by, pausing to land on the end of a tall blade of grass near Terence's foot before continuing on its way. Terence's eyes followed the dragonfly as it zigzagged toward the pond, but his mind was with his father at work. Slowly, as if in a trance, Terence picked up his pencil and started to write. He began writing faster and faster. The frown on his forehead began fading away. Twenty minutes later, he jumped up and looped up the path to his house. Now that he had a plan, there was no time to lose. <laughs>